This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. From the outside, it can often seem like professional athletes are living the dream, especially once they've reached the highest levels of competition. But as a woman in sport, the reality can often be much more complex. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by Shani Layton, the former captain of Australia's national netball team, the Diamonds, and current AFLW star. Shani shares more about her pursuit of perfectionism as an athlete, her experiences of mental health, and why she made the decision to leave netball behind. So Shani, look, it's really fantastic to be here with you. Everyone knows a lot about you, but let's start with your early life, if you like. Did you come from a sporting family? How did you get into sport? Yeah, I did come from a sporting family. So my dad was a footballer. Um, he didn't play in AFL, but he used to trial for them. But due to life circumstances, having to work full time, you know, pretty much what women are still doing these days, um, he wasn't able to continue on that path and journey. And it's quite funny because my mum isn't athletic, but I still have some of her qualities, which is running like a duck, you know, like my knees go in, my legs go out. Um, so the fact that I was still able to make it as an athlete with um, some of her biomechanics is, is quite funny. But um, always a really active family. My mum was a country girl. She rode horses. And so, yeah, I was always destined to be a very active child and person. I love that description of your your mum's bio biomedics there, um, running like a duck. Yeah, she's not offended at all. I think um, she knows that she definitely passed that on to me. And it was something that I was really self-conscious as as a kid because I run funny and I didn't want people to watch me. Um, to this day, I still don't love watching myself um, on um, or playing sport or whatever it might be. So, um, but it was something that I had to get used to and I work like it works. I can still run fast. I can still jump. And so, you know, it's one of those things that you can be self-conscious about, but it doesn't change anything. So there's no reason to be. That must be difficult. I just want to pick up on that comment there because you said um, you don't love watching yourself, but obviously as an athlete at your level, you know, you must spend time off the court looking at, looking at reruns of what happened. Yeah, and I didn't mind it as much in netball. I think um, earlier days netball, I was absolutely the same because I was a little bit uncoordinated and um, that was more so just because my limbs were so long more than anything else and then I'd always be really embarrassed. But you have to go through those years of learning before you get those three or four years of, you know, when I played my best netball and played for Australia and then, you know, when you get there, you don't acknowledge those hard times you went through of (laughs) how uncoordinated you used to be. But then I actually didn't mind watching myself playing netball at the end because I was good at it but then going over to football where I wasn't just in a 10 meter box but I was now running you know eight to ten kilometers a game and just you know that you really got to see what my body was all about and everyone was like oh my gosh like how is this chick even an athlete and so you know it is hard to block out what outsiders are saying or um, to be mature enough not to take it to heart and still get the job done at hand. So look you, you talked there about moving from netball to football let's start off with netball was it always netball was that your first love? Do you know what funnily enough it wasn't even my first love but because I had my dad's athletic ability I was just really good at sport I played netball I played football at school I played club cricket I rode horses and I did life-saving and so I just loved sport and I just loved being active but my number one love was actually horse riding um, but when we talk about netball because I was so tall I just kept on getting selected in teams so it wasn't that I loved it but it just kept on 
choosing me um, earlier on. And if I made a team, I was like, okay, well, I may as well go to these tryouts and then I'd make that team. And so I just continued on and I got to the point where I was like, I wonder how far I can go. And every time I asked myself that question, I continued to go further and further. So, but it is funny that it was never actually one of my loves as such, but more an interest to see how good I could be at it. And of course, you were excellent at it because you ended up playing right at the top of your field, playing for the Diamonds. How did that feel? Uh, look, you can't even describe representing your country. It is one of the best things that you'll ever, it's one of the best things that I'll ever do. And I think, um, you know, one of my best memories is standing on the transverse line at an international game with 10,000 fans there, with it probably being New Zealand and Australia were my two favourite places to play and, and to wear the green and gold and to know that you're playing for something that's so much bigger than you, so much bigger than the team and to be able to represent your country and to do your country proud and to sing the national anthem, like it, it gives you goosebumps and that's something that I'm so proud that I was able to achieve and they are the best memories that I have and that I will hold on to forever. You're giving me goosebumps even as you're talking about it. Like I can hear it in your voice, what it meant to you. So look, those are the positives. But even in this early conversation that we've had, there's a couple of things that, I, that I'd like to pick up on. So first of all, there's a high level of scrutiny, yeah, when you play at that level. You know, you talked about, you know, you run up and down the football field, people can see it. So what are the impacts on someone's life when you play at that level? I guess an elite athlete, um, you're really hard on yourself. Like at the end of the day, there's critics out there, but you're always going to be your hardest critic but in saying that and especially for athletes that are a bit younger so I guess when I first started making the Australian team um, you know Twitter was really taking off Facebook was already out there um, and you get all this really positive feedback you post a picture on Instagram and everyone starts following you and liking you and you're like oh well this is pretty cool like I'm getting all of this attention um, and it makes you feel good about yourself but you don't realize that that is really short-lived um, and it's not genuine like it's nice that people want to support you but then as soon as you have a bad game it's those exact people that are ratting you out on social media and writing really horrible things and my first experiences were quite horrible with social media so before I'd ever made the Australian team I, as I said earlier I was really uncoordinated and you know people would write on forums about me they would say you know that I was just this lanky girl that I was like Melbourne off Madagascar which is still pretty funny um however at a, as a 19 year old like it, it stings and it's really hard to try and stay on your journey and focus on what's important and I think you can really see that in this day and age and people are like oh you know this person of whatever sport is in really good form and then they're not and what's going on and like they're absolutely you know watching the news and reading the paper and reading the online forums, even though we say not to, you still do and you still see and hear things and it can really affect you on a personal note. Mm. So, you know, in terms of those kind of challenges, I mean, I look at your career and, and really you're right at the peak of your career in, in 2017. You know, you signed to the Collingwood Magpies for the Suncorp Super Netball and you're captain of the Diamonds right at the top. But you're going to announce at the end of that season that you will take a break. What's going on at that point? So for me, I guess I, I suffered from depression and I've talked about that publicly and I think depression is something that's so hard to put your finger on and as an athlete you're always in control of your body so if you hurt your knee or your ankle you are aware of it straight away and you do something about it and I would have been mentally ill for a while but I didn't realise because it wasn't... Um, what's the word that I'm looking at? It wasn't tangible. I couldn't see what was wrong. Like I'd just become really sad. 
Um, I was living in Sydney at the time. I thought I missed my family, which is why I ended up moving back to Melbourne. But I was really lonely, even though I was surrounded by so many people and so many caring and loving people. Like at this stage, all I had was love on social media and my family was loving and my friends were loving. Like I didn't have any negativity in my life. So I just thought I shouldn't be sad. Like this is ridiculous that I am sad. So I almost refused to acknowledge the fact that I was and I thought I lived away from home for 10 years, you know, fulfilling my netball dreams. I was in Canberra, Adelaide and then Sydney. Um, And then although I loved Sydney and I was playing really well there, I thought, oh, I I think it might be my family that I'm missing. So I might move home to Melbourne and and I think being near family is going to make me happy again. But once I moved back to Collingwood in 2017, and as you said, I was captain in Australia, which should have been, which was my dream, but it didn't feel like that at the time. And I couldn't figure out why that wasn't making me happy. And then coming to Collingwood, a club that I'd always loved and playing here wasn't making me happy. I realized that there was something more going on because even though I'd moved back to Melbourne, I still didn't get to see my family and that made me really sad. And, And then I was just having breakdowns and more breakdowns and Um, those breakdowns went from months to weeks to daily. And then that was when I realized that I had to do something about it and I had to put my health first. And um, I was in a really dark, dark place where I didn't have any emotions. I didn't really care if I was here or not anymore, um, which is a bit hard and sad to talk about. And then that's when I realized that netball had always been my priority in life, but it was time for it to take a step back. And it was time for my health to be a priority, which I'd never looked after. I read an article and I'm going to pull out the quote here and it said and it's in relation to you it was talking about your decision to leave and it says it's refreshing to see Netball Australia which has historically shied away from controversy and the tougher elements of a game lest the traditional base be offended be transparent about Leighton's situation it fits Leighton's own ethos of openness so do you think that sport has changed significantly in terms of how it responds to mental health issues? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's probably only been in recent years that players have felt that they can speak up and say, look, I'm not doing well, but there's always that risk of if you step away from something that you're not going to come back Um, and not because you don't want to, but because you're not selected. And I took that risk and then that ended up happening to me because I wanted to come back for the Commonwealth Games. But in taking that break to look after my mental health, I ended up missing out on the Commonwealth Games and this is the the scenario that athletes weigh up and this is why they don't look after their mental health because it's everything we've ever strived for as a kid and as an adult and all those hours like the numerous hours and sacrifices we've made to be an athlete just to compete in these big competitions and so the fact that the Commonwealth Games were the next year um, and I decided to step away was a really big deal um, And that's why people don't end up doing it because you sometimes and a lot of the time you don't end up making it back for those competitions that you've been working towards. But then the crash is going to be five times as hard if you then don't take that break to get yourself right, which is where a lot of athletes struggle because they wait until they retire before they do that. But, um, you know, just on what you said in regards to that quote, I would like to acknowledge Netball Australia and the way that they went about it. And I did want to be totally honest and upfront about, and I always am, obviously, with anything that I go through because when I was growing up, I always put athletes on a pedestal and I thought, how did they get there? How are they so amazing? How do they do this? And when I got there, I realized that it was all a front and that not everyone is amazing, whether you're an elite athlete or a normal human being, everyone has issues. And I was sick of there being this persona that if you achieve something, then you become this invincible human. And so that's why it's so important 
for me to show that even when you achieve things, you still have the flaws that everyone faces. I want to go back to something you said earlier, actually, and it was about your dad, um, you know, trialling out for football, but you said about how, well, he also had to manage a full-time job just as women do, you know, in terms of how women's sport is paid and how women have to often have that, that the job that, alongside it. What, what was your experience? Were you working the same time as you were managing your sports career? How did you manage that? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a pretty funny, um, pretty funny journey, actually. So I went to university, but unfortunately, I like to say I'm intelligent, but I'm not very intellectual. So it takes me a lot to study at unis and I couldn't do uni and netball at the same time if I wanted to succeed. So I ended up taking a step aside um, from my uni career and then obviously had to start working as well because I needed to earn money to be able to support myself. And so my very first job out of netball was as a removalist. So that was for three years. I was moving houses and playing netball. Um, I then moved to Canberra where I was a tour guide at the AIS um, and I also worked in an office um, alongside my training. So that was for another two years before moving to Adelaide for four years. And when I was in Adelaide, I worked for a solar, I was a saleswoman for a solar panel company for two years alongside playing um, before then working at a doggy daycare centre for a year and a half, which I absolutely loved. Um, but then I just got um, a job at a cafe as a waitress because it just helped the times were better around my training to be able to help out with that. So the first eight years of my career, I was working full time um, alongside playing um, and as well as I was playing for Australia at that time as well because I made that in 2011. It wasn't until I moved to Sydney in 2014, so my career started in 2004, so this is a decade later, um, that I started to get paid enough that I could do netball full-time and my profile started booming and I started getting sponsors and um, I could actually put all of my time into netball. And funnily enough, that was when my netball took off because I was able just to concentrate on it. So, yeah, it's definitely a hard balance for athletes and I see it now in AFLW. I'm back working pretty much full-time. Um, I'm at a school in um, Melbourne called MLC. I'm the head of netball there. And all of my teammates, they all work full-time. And you are drained when you get to training. You don't get the best out of your training because you're tired, but we're doing our best. And to see how far the game has come in such a short amount of time, like I just can't imagine how far and how much quicker we would get there if we could be a little bit more full-time than what we are. Mm -hmm. So I know one of the things that you're really passionate about is increasing the participation and audiences for female sport. Um, you know, female sport has made huge strides in the last few decades, but it still lags um, male sports in terms of exposure, in terms of pay, etc. What else do we need to do, do you think, to shift the dial? Uh, it's all about the investment into the sports. Like, so especially, and this is netball in particular, the players can't do any more than what they're doing. Like maybe 15 years ago, you could have said, oh, look, the product's not really up to scratch. The girls aren't particularly athletic because they're working as well as playing. Um, but for the last decade, these girls have been full-time athletes, although not paid like that, they've trained like that. And now the standard of netball can't get any better than what it is. Like it is so freaking amazing and these athletes are phenomenal and so now we just need the broadcasters buying in we need people turning on their tv screens because everyone loves to talk like I love women in sport I want to support women in sport but we need them to turn on their tvs so that we can get the ratings up if we get the ratings up then sponsors see that then sponsors want to put the money in um but so it's a really vicious cycle if people aren't watching them the sponsors don't put the money in 
then the girls can't get paid anymore. So we need the sponsors investing, we need the broadcast investing and taking a risk because if you put it out there and if you give the promotion around it, so this I'm not just talking about media in regards to putting it on TV. Like I like to call the Herald Sun, you know, the AFL paper because the whole 20 back pages is all AFL in Melbourne. Whereas if the whole back 20 back pages were netball, then people would know what was going on, they'd know about the players, they'd be interested in it. But we don't provide that insight. So I think the media holds a huge responsibility in giving um, a quality coverage so that we can get more people wanting to watch because they then know more about it and then we have more eyeballs on screens and then we have more sponsorship dollars coming in. So, yeah, there's a lot of responsibility on a lot of people and it is getting there, but like you said, it's kind of come to not a standhold, but probably not progressing at the rate that we would like it to. Um, but as an athlete, that's really tough because there's not much else that we can do to keep bettering the product. And that's like in regards to netball. And similarly to football, it's so hard for girls to, as I said, juggle their work with playing football and get like keep improving that quality to get the respect that is deserved for the product and the sport. Now, back to your career. So you take a break or essentially you announce that you're leaving uh, netball and you take a break, but then you come back to play for Collingwood's um, AFL women's team. So talk me through how that happened and were you happy to be back on the field? Uh, I think for me it wasn't about, like my body was still great, but I just achieved everything that I wanted to in netball. And similarly, um, when we were talking about jobs earlier, I love variety and I love doing new things. But with netball there was and especially after missing out on the Commonwealth Games, there was nothing left for me to achieve. And I found that my drive and passion had left and I'm a really passionate person. And so I just wanted a new challenge. And so I would kind of walk past the AFL coaches um, office, AFLW coaches office and just go, you know, Wayno, do you need a new ruck next year? Or, you know, just have a bit of a joke with him, but not mean anything by it, but kind of like slightly sussing him out and he'd be like yeah sure Shards, come chat to me after I'll be like sure sure but then after I quit netball I went up to him and I said look Wayno I'm serious here like can I can I have a crack and he was like all right well let's go out for a kick and I'll see if you're worth putting on as a rookie and I think it helped him because um obviously coming from another sport I was a rookie so I didn't take up a draft spot of another potential youngster coming through which was obviously ideal as well and then it all just went from there. Like he said yes, and I was really excited to take on a new sport. Um, but to be honest, I spent a lot of time with the football girls around the club, even when I was with netball, and I absolutely loved hanging out with them. I loved their vibe. I loved their culture. And it's very different to a netball culture. Um, it's a lot more my personality. I like to call football, and I mean this in the most polite way possible, but footy is a public schoolgirl sport and I'm a public schoolgirl and netball is a private schoolgirl sport. <laughs> and I just never really, I never really quite fitted in to that environment and um, that's why I stood out. So like, you know, it was great that I was able to have a difference in that because I was a big, loud, burly person that netball wasn't used to. But um, if you come over to footy, you find that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere. Like everyone has my my type of personality you know loud spoken and a bit of a smart aleck and all the rest of it and that's my vibe so I really love being in that culture and that environment. Do you feel like you've come home a little bit? I really do and you can't put a, um, a feeling on home can you? It's just a feeling and you can't say why that feeling's there but you know that you just have it and one, like, you hit the nail on the head there Kate like as soon as I go to footy I feel like I'm at home and it's just beautiful. Mm, and you can hear it in your voice. And I would imagine, because when I was researching this, I saw some very happy photographs of you and your partner, Luke, who got married 
this earlier this year. You looked super, super happy. So is that part of that feeling of coming home? So Luke, uh, he's just brought so much like love and joy into my life. But I actually met him in my last year of netball. And I think he definitely helped me come home and back to myself after I went through depression. And I mean that as me as a person, like we share very similar values. We have the same sense of humor. He brings so much love and joy into my life. And he made, or he helped me align with my values again. And I think when I went to footy, those were the values that he helped realign with me. And I, it helped me realize that, you know, netball wasn't the place for me and it wasn't in alignment with my values and it wasn't making me happy. And so by meeting him, it definitely made that decision easier to, to follow my heart and do what made me happy rather than, um, you know, I took a, a pretty big pay cut, to be honest, to go from netball to football, as you could imagine. But you get to a stage in life where, you know, happiness is more important than any kind of dollar sign. Mm. So look, um, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a little bit personal because, you know, right at the beginning, you actually said your first love was horse riding. Yeah. And now you've ended up in football. Do you think that at a kind of deeper cellular level, you didn't really love netball? Absolutely. Yeah. And I openly, I openly say that, like I never, I do love netball, um, but I love it in a way that you love a sibling that you never really got along with. You know, you don't not love them. And I love the opportunities that it's given me. And I do love the sport. Like I've come to love the sport and, and how I understand it. But the love of netball isn't the same as my love for football or my love for horse riding. So, um, but my love for achievement or my need for achievement, more so I should say, um, my need for perfectionism um, in striving towards goals. Netball met every single need that I had with that and needing to know how good I could be as an as an athlete and if I could represent my country. And um, and as I said, I think I because I did do that, then once I knew that I could do that, then that's where my passion then stopped because my drive stopped because I didn't need to prove anything to myself anymore. It was It was done. So what's next for you now then? Happily married, back home, you know, in, a, in the larger sense of the word. You know what? Um, it's so interesting. And I've been chatting to Luke, my husband, about this lately. Like I'm so nervous because for the first time in my life, I don't have a plan. And, and I'm okay with that because I've overplanned my whole life and I want to see what opportunities arise, especially over the next couple of years. I think if you overplan, then you don't allow for sporadic stuff to come in like that variety that I love that I was telling you about but you know I've always had this world cup that I'm striving for or a football premiership that I've been striving for or whatever it is but you know I've got a staple job that I've never had before and I don't have like any major goals and that's good but I like it makes me very uneasy Mm, it's hard to sit in the unknowing, I always think. One last question. You've got a book coming out, No Apologies. So how did it feel writing that and what should we expect in it? For me, I've always wanted to write a book. So when I so I received my first box of books the other day and when I pulled the first one out and held onto it, I just cried. I cried and I sobbed because, like, I've done enough to write a book and that's freaking cool, man. Like... I never thought that I would do that. And I love literature. I love writing. Um, That's probably something that people don't know about me. And so I really enjoyed 
the journey of writing it. I think when I went to the publisher, I already had 35,000 words written because um, I'd already prepared that I wanted to write a book. And for me, there's so much that went unsaid in my career in regards to, you know, why I had to change states, all the setbacks and obstacles that I faced, um, which, you know, as you know, I'm pretty open, so a lot of people know a lot of it, but there's also a lot of stuff in there that people don't know. And so for me, um, the stories aren't about harping on negative times on my life, but it's about telling the story that acknowledged that I wasn't happy and that I needed to make a change. I think there's so many people out there that stay in something when they're not happy because they're not brave or they don't have the courage or they just simply don't know that things can be different. And so I hope that by people reading this book, they can say, you know what, it is actually really hard to get yourself out of a sticky situation, but it's worth it. Um, and so for me, it's about telling the story of why I had to change teams, why I had to move into state so many times, um, how that eventually led to depression and then how I then got myself out of that. So although it's a sports book, I do hope that it relates a lot um, on a life level and I hope that people can either relate to it or they just enjoy the story because I do try to, you know, I'm a, like, like to take the piss a little bit. So um, I don't like things getting too serious. So if it gets a bit serious, I try to break it up with some humour as well. Thanks for joining us for this latest episode of The Leadership Lessons. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this series on your favourite podcast player and leave us a rating. And to find out more from us, visit www.womensagenda.com.au. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.